0: This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. <laughs> I'm so excited today to be joined by Caitlin Watson and together we're going to be recording a phenomenal series called From Imposter to Empowered, How to Make the Shift. Caitlin is an experienced talent management consultant with a deep interest in and a passion for people including their development, their potential and their performance. Her business, Duchess Talent Management Consulting, focuses on helping businesses develop, implement, and measure sustainable and impactful talent management strategies, from hiring the right talent and building the right skills, to managing employee productivity and performance, and of course supporting career development through robust succession planning.
1: Welcome Caitlin. Thanks so much, Karen. I'm so excited to be part of this series. Thanks for having me. Now, Caitlin, you and I have had a few discussions
0: before, but for some of our listeners that may be hearing you for the first time, tell us a little bit more about yourself and particularly what your sweet spot is.
1: My sweet spot lies in facilitating workshops essentially linked to all of the talent processes. I'm passionate about helping people build meaningful careers and so, I run workshops in particular for employees and leaders on understanding their unique value proposition, their personal value proposition within the job market and within their organization. I help people know how to leverage all this information to perform at their best. And I want to help people advance their careers at the right pace. I really do believe in being in flow, being in a particular role at the right time in your career, having the right skill sets and the right kind of knowledge to be able to really perform well. I've got a background in education and journalism, and so I really enjoy writing. I love reading. I love research. And so I'm finding that my sweet spot lies in writing about topics and speaking on topics such as imposter syndrome, atomic habits, and performance management.
0: Excellent. Caitlin, I'm so excited to discuss with you today, particularly how imposter syndrome is aggravated. To not understanding yourself. And this is essentially part one of our series. And it's such an important question that we're needing to ask. First of all, you and I have had a discussion previously on imposter syndrome. But again, for for individuals joining us for the first time, or for some people that may still be unfamiliar with this term, could you give us a little bit of background
1: on imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is so prevalent. I think over 70% of people, if not more, have experienced Experienced it at some stage in their careers and their personal lives. And what we find with imposter syndrome is that many high achieving people experience this. So essentially it refers to the feeling of fraudulence experienced by these successful people who believe that their achievements are undeserved, despite their objective evidence to the contrary. So we find people experiencing imposter syndrome often have a constant fear of being called out for not being good enough, even though there is clear evidence that they are doing well in that area. They often externalize success, so give credit for work to others for work that they had actually delivered. They often convince themselves that achieving difficult goals is more down to luck than the hours of hard work and skill needed to achieve those goals. And very often they feel that others are more qualified to share their views on topics that they are actually experts at or really have a lot of knowledge around. And so we see these elements show up in people who are experiencing imposter syndrome. Fantastic.
0: So let's look at that in context of really understanding yourself what is the link between having self-knowledge or understanding yourself and imposter syndrome? And my assumption here is that not understanding yourself would really aggravate somebody that does have imposter syndrome.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think self-awareness in any sphere of life is absolutely key. But I think in particular around imposter syndrome, it becomes important. Understanding how we show up in different areas of our lives is important to managing our responses. So lack of awareness makes it difficult to manage how we engage with others. We can start to identify triggers and then manage those triggers to our different environments when we know what to look out for. We're often over overwhelmed with messages that we're receiving on a daily basis and the amount of information that we're having to consume. filtering through information is really key. What we find is that we have a skewed lens for how we receive information. If we are struggling with imposter syndrome, we only see the info that we're receiving through a particular lens. So if we have imposter syndrome, we believe then that information being shared with us is around success, around the work that we're doing, we often misconstrue it and assume that people have either shared incorrect information, in other words, telling us that you're doing a really good job, but often if someone is experiencing imposter syndrome, they would then feel, oh, no, they're just being nice to me. No, they must be mistaken. They haven't read my work correctly. We must interpret that information. If we have a level of awareness, we can then filter the information more appropriately. And if we can name an emotion, name an issue we can then start to manage it. And I certainly experienced that when I was introduced to the concepts of imposter syndrome. I remember attending a workshop and I felt like a light bulb had gone off in my head because I realized, this is what I had been struggling with for a majority of my career. I started my career in teaching. And so for a large part of that, I felt like an imposter in my role, thinking, oh, I'm too young. All my other colleagues are more experienced and definitely more competent and Then moving into a corporate environment from an education environment, I kept thinking, no, they must just be doing me a favor. There is no way that my skill sets would be valuable in this very complex and very sophisticated corporate environment in which I was operating. And so for a large part of my career, even though I was promoted regularly, moved into more senior roles and given a lot more responsibility, my fundamental belief was, no, it's It's just through luck. It's through chance. And so once I was able to understand that, oh, it's actually imposter syndrome that I've been experiencing, the empowerment that's come as a result of that has been so significant. I've now been able to manage it a lot better. And I think through coaching others in the process, there's been a lot of self-awareness and growth in my space in my own life. So I, I think that awareness is really critical to being able to manage it effectively.
0: Yeah I think it as you're saying it's key. And I think if we if one suffers from imposter syndrome, it's so important to realize and recognize the signs and symptoms of that because it really impedes your ability to grow because you never really can take ownership of a particular issue or move yourself forward it puts you on the back foot all the time how do we actually recognize And, uh, and the question always when I speak about imposter syndrome to me is how does somebody know and I suppose it's my own inner imposter coming through here but how does somebody know when it's imposter syndrome versus true incompetence
1: yeah good question I think it's linked for me primarily to evidence of success we can have a look at things like performance reviews, quality of work delivered. I remember being consistently over delivering and over performing in my roles, and I would get that numerical. Empirical number that performance rating to say you have consistently overperformed and delivered excellent work. And yet I would still believe, thinking, no, they must have gotten the rating wrong. Maybe it's a retention tool and not actually evidence that I've done a good job. I think there are systems in place in a corporate environment or any environment that's work related that can help us understand. The success. It would be things like performance reviews, feedback that we're receiving from other people in the business, our peers, our managers, to say great job when people ask us to do more Of the same kind of work to say, gosh, you've done a great, you've done a great job. Please can you do more of this? Can you help in this area? That tells us that we are doing a good job. But again, because our filter is so skewed towards imposter syndrome, we misconstrue that information and we filter it inappropriately. And I suppose in the face of success, we often don't feel successful. If we aren't clear about what success looks like and about our vision for success in the various roles that we have in our lives. If we aren't clear about what our unique value proposition is, it's difficult to understand if we're actually successful against that. And I think it's important to note here that success really needs to be looked at holistically. When we talk about holistic success, it's not just in that performance rating. It's looking at relationships. It's looking at our mental well-being. It's looking at the collaboration that we've had with people. It's looking, as I've said, at that, those relationships that we've built. It's not just linked to those hard numbers when it comes to performance. And so very often what we don't do is define what that looks like in our lives. And so we tend to measure ourselves against only one metric. And if we haven't achieved 100% in that metric, then we attach failure to everything in our lives. And again, it's that skewed perspective. We do have different types of imposter syndrome, and we can recognize that imposter syndrome is at play when we break down the different types of imposter. So we have the perfectionist, and this perfectionist believes that 100% of the time their work needs to be perfect. A is not good enough, they need A+. And so when we find ourselves tending to want to perfect everything, we can start to see imposter syndrome at play. Very often, another type of imposter is the expert imposter. What we convince ourselves of is we say things like, if I was really smart, I would actually already know everything and I should know how to do this. But because I'm still learning in this space or I'm not sure of this information, clearly I'm incompetent. What we forget is that every new role, whether it's being a parent, whether it's being a spouse, whether it's moving into a management role, requires growth and learning. We cannot arrive to that role fully competent. And in the education space, as an example, if you're a teacher or a professor, there is this pressure to arrive in that role as already being 100% knowledgeable and everything, It's really tough because that isn't true. You cannot possibly know everything. And so our growth mindset comes into play here where we need to say things like, I'm still learning and that's okay. What do I know? And the information and knowledge that I have around that is brilliant and I can add a huge amount of value already, but how can I go and find out what I don't know? and grow and learn from that versus seeing that lack of knowledge in a particular area as a barrier and as a as something that prevents us from really performing and adding value We also have the soloist believes that true competence is equal to their own achievements. So in other words, they need to do everything themselves. Nobody else can do as good a job as them. And if they aren't able to manage an end-to-end process, know everything about that process and be fully competent, then they actually aren't doing a great job, which of course is not true. And I think very often in the parenting role, we don't empower other people to help build a community for our children where, you know, other people can help our children grow and learn. We feel that everything is on us as an individual and we have to then perform everything. And even in a work environment, we don't empower other people in our team to really shine and deliver work in their own capacity. We want to do everything on our own. And when we start seeing that and we start seeing the workload just you get to a point where it's unmanageable. We are working 14, 15, 16 hour days because we haven't managed our time, because we want to do everything on our own. We can start to see that show up. The second last type of imposter syndrome is the superwoman. And this, I think it should be superman, superwoman. I think men and women believe that they should be able to manage everything all of the time exceptionally well. And I actually read such an interesting meme the other day on social media about raising our children to eat kale, but not over Veganize them and you know, not overstimulate them, not understimulate them, not too much screen time, not enough screen time. It was just, it felt like this trying to manage all of these elements to create this perfect child. And I imagine in the work environment, it's the same thing. To be ambitious, but not too arrogant. To be humble, but not too humble. To be competent, but not too competent. Assertive, but not too assertive. There are all these pressures to create this super employee, super parent, super spouse that are just not achievable. And so when we start trying to achieve and believe that we have to be able to do all of these, we can start to recognize imposter syndrome there because the bottom line is we cannot live up to all of that and that everything should come naturally, naturally easily to us. And then finally, the great mind is the speed at which we build competence. And so the belief is if I was really smart and if I was really competent, I'd be able to pick up everything immediately. And it would come naturally, it would come easily, and it would be cu- it would come very quickly. Which, of course, we do have some inherent natural ability, and some things do come more easily. But if we're moving into a new role, and we're moving into a new space that is unfamiliar, it will take time to develop competence. And so putting that time pressure on ourselves, we can start to see that imposter syndrome come through. If we aren't developing as quickly as we would like and I think the challenge is with our employees as a manager and as parents we have to be really careful about the narrative that we share with them because as teachers as well to say come on guys you should have this already, you should hit the ground running. That is an incredibly unfair assessment to make, and I hear it so often in corporate, especially for young people coming into a new business saying, you should already know this, you should be able to hit the ground running. That's not true. People do require assistance, and even at a senior level, if they knew everything already, they'd be running the entire company. It's really about helping them at the appropriate time, build the right skill set, over the appropriate time frame. And so that career development aspect becomes really important here in flow, develop their careers at the right time with the right skill set, with the right amount of complexity.
0: Absolutely. I think that is so key. And while you were speaking, I was just thinking too and I'm, I'm a recovering imposter syndrome person. And it's something that I have struggled with for quite a number of years. But I remember working walking into my first job and I was I was a consultant and I thought I needed to know everything, and of course, I needed to uphold this mental image I had of what perfect looked like in this environment, and I was terrified because I had never used a photocopier before or when you had to print notes off. And to me, I used to break out into almost sweats, having to print something, thinking that something would get jammed. And I wouldn't know how to fix it because that would prove that I didn't have a right to be in that environment. It's just ridiculous now if I look back on that. But that is—that's just the ridiculousness that we sometimes attach to what we think we should be.
1: Absolutely, I know this. uh, from my side, I know it sounds ridiculous, but as well is that when I moved in into a corporate environment, I didn't really know how to use Outlook because when I was teaching, we still used mark books with pencil, and we did that online. But I never had to send a meeting request to someone to meet them. I just spoke to the parents in the car park and said, I'll see you at two o'clock. And so I remember saying in my first job, yeah, I know how to set up meetings, don't worry and being terrified that, in fact, they would find out that I couldn't. Obviously, day one in the job, you ask someone, you can figure it out quite quickly. But you're right, there is this pressure on us that we place. And often, especially, let's say you're an intern or a young person entering the workplace, there are some base assumptions that we make about skills. But I do believe that employers understand that people are coming into the workforce with very limited skills and so when we place that job advert as an example we have to be really clear about the type of person and the type of experience and skill sets that we're expecting an individual to bring to the business. So I often see job adverts that say, we're offering an internship or basically junior level salary, but needs to have three years experience in X, Y, and Z. And so we've got these contradictory messages that we're sending out to people. So by the time they arrive for the job interview, they are exactly that, breaking out into a sweat because they don't necessarily have the experience that the job is advertising for, but in fact, it may be an entry-level role. So I think... The message that we're putting out there as employers to the job market really needs to be clear and fair. And I think a few tips, if I can share that with people who are struggling to enter the job market and feel that they don't have the skills and just feel overwhelmed with the type of individual that they need to be in the space before you arrive for a job interview, before you start looking for work, Be really clear about your personal brand. So knowing what you stand for, what you're good at, will help you better articulate the value that you can add to a role, to your team, and to the broader business. So thinking about, firstly, clarity. What do I stand for? What is my purpose? Why do I do what I do? What are my strengths? What is unique about what I'm good at? I didn't realize that until later on in my career, that all the different bits and pieces of knowledge that I've gained and roles that I've played have actually built a really unique skill set in the market. For example, I've worked, done journalism, studied journalism, done a lot of writing, written for newspapers, as an example. I've taught dancing. I've been a teacher. I've done some leadership development. I run a a happiness club, which is a women's self-development club where we get together and just grow ourselves and spend time empowering each other through learning. And I never realized until I took the time to really analyze and take stock of all these different unique experiences that I've had have really allowed me to build a unique offering in the market and that helps you understand what it is you're good at, and what you can offer people. And so using some personality profiling tools to get a better understanding of what you're good at can really help. There are so many on the market that are available. You can use the DISC model. You can use the high five test to understand your top five strengths. You can look at Simon Sinek's work on Start With Why. What is my purpose? And then I think importantly is how does this show up coherently? How does what I stand for show up in everything I do, say and know? So what is the consistent message that I am communicating to employers, to the market, to my customers? And then from a leadership perspective, how do I lead my own brand by regularly challenging myself on assessing, am I happy? Am I content? Am I learning? Am I staying alert? Am I interested in what's happening in the world? Because we can very quickly become complacent. It's constantly challenging ourselves to refresh our skills, to look at ourselves objectively and look at ourselves from that outside in approach. And so it's just tips around everything I do, communicate my message and my unique brand value proposition consistently.
0: Absolutely. Caitlin, it's been a fantastic recording. I really enjoyed our, our conversation today. And I'm so looking forward to part two, where we'll continue this conversation on really self-growth and development, how we start shaping our lives, aligning our habits,
1: and really making
0: that change happen. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks
1: so much, Karen. It's been great. And I look forward to the next one. Excellent.
0: Now, just for our listeners, Caitlin builds, implements, and measures talent management strategies for businesses and facilitates workshops. LinkedIn talent management processes. You're welcome to contact Caitlin, and I think her services are incredibly valuable. And especially from a coaching perspective, I think you are a lovely coach. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks so much, Karen.